What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another wonderful episode of Fraternity. I'm your little brother, Danny, and I'm here with my big brother, Sean. How's everybody doing tonight? Sean, it's been a while. It's been quite a while, but we're happy to be back. And we hope you didn't miss us too much, but Fraternity is back, giving you your bi-weekly dose of horror now. That's the big news we announced on Twitter, but we'll say it here again. Our show is going from weekly to bi-weekly, so you'll get two episodes a month. That's right. After Friday the 13th, which is the last time you saw us, we took a little family vacation. We both celebrate birthdays in May, so we're both a little older, but probably none the wiser. (laughs) Both older. Still the younger brother over here, always will be, but... (laughs) So, the movie we're going to be covering tonight, Danny, is 1987's Vampire Western, Near Dark. And I'm not the biggest fan of vampire movies, or westerns for that matter, but this movie does have a bit of a magical blend to it. It all just meshes together really well, I think. I don't know how you feel. But that's how I feel. (laughs) Yeah, I don't have much to say about the movie before we jump into it. So I thought we could spend some time talking about the show. And like you said, if you don't follow us on Twitter, then it's breaking news to you that we are going to bi-weekly. And I think it's okay for us to be honest that a little burnout did contribute to that, right? Yeah, I'll be 100% honest with our audience and our listeners that I think for me, it was becoming a little bit too much, you know, having to produce a show every week. And on top of that, we were trying to get ahead and trying to get out these episodes before our big vacation to Disney World at the beginning of May. And I think all that just really piled on and... It really caused me to kind of step back from the show and just take some time and really think about it and think about what problems I had with the show and where I wanted to be and where I want the show to go. And we talked about it and we agreed that, yeah, we just want to take it a little bit slower here. And really, we don't want to kill the joy of talking about these movies. We want to keep that spark there. And if that means having to dial it back a little bit and produce less episodes, then that's what we'll have to do. And it may not be forever, it may not be a permanent change, but we feel right now that's the best course of action. And you know, there was a lot of other stuff too, like I was doing the YouTube uploads, and I make the thumbnails for those, and I edit the videos for those, and on top of editing the podcast... And recording for the podcast and, you know, along that process, getting ready for the next episode, it just, you know, piled on. And, you know, I'm not afraid to admit I was getting a little burnt out with the show and I wasn't satisfied with the quality of where it was going. So, yeah, I had to step back and Sean and I had to have a tough discussion, but we think we're at a place now where we feel good about the show and we're ready to really get back on the saddle and i think we'll i think we're on the track to produce some of our best content you know with the way things are right now yeah for sure you know 
one of the things that would happen to Danny and I is we would get really hyped and want to just keep working. So we often found ourselves about a week ahead of the actual program while recording. So for instance, if you were listening to Sinister, I was over on the Twitter promoting it, obviously. But at the same time, we were already watching and working on The Stepfather too. And when we got finalized word that we were going to take a vacation, it put us in this box where we didn't want to take that break, but it made it to where we had X amount of weeks to get done X amount of episodes. And that's where I feel like it really beat us down by putting ourselves in that box. At a certain point for me, it stopped being fun and, you know, felt like a job. And that's when I was like, you know, I don't want to ruin this for either of us. So I had to step back. Right. Before our little break, we were working really hard to put together our 80s mayhem month. We realized we weren't going to get it all done. We were going to come up a little short, but we knew we had to do the Friday the 13th special. So that became our focus. And that's what we did. And I think the bottom line is, like a good friend reminded me, work-life balance is very important. And this is work, life, and podcasting balance. So it's even more important, Danny. And <laughs> the most important thing, though, is this isn't a job for us. It's a passion. And it's a strong passion. We love doing it. And we don't ever want it to feel like a job. And truth be told, when we had those tough discussions, we realized we don't have to put ourselves in any kind of box whether it's scheduling or anything else. But I do think there are benefits to having a certain schedule, a certain release date. I feel like the two-week window is a perfect compromise for us because I think it is nice to know when you can count on new content coming out. And it's good to have that specific day. But with all that said, if we miss a week or something comes up, we're not going to beat ourselves up over that. We can adjust the schedule without any unnecessary pressure. And if we're in the zone and want to work more and release more episodes on an off week for the hell of it, we can do that too. We can basically do whatever we want and we hope you enjoy it and come along for the ride. Yeah, totally. And I think, yeah, for me, I got caught up in that professionalism and wanting to appear like, you know, episodes every Friday, have this YouTube presence and all that. but. Really, I think it's important to step back and just be honest with our fans and people that keep up with us. And really, thank you for keeping up with us. And we hope you keep on enjoying the show because we love to produce it. We love to do it for you. So, yeah, it was a bit of a tough month over here at Fraternity, but we are coming at the other end stronger. With all that said, Danny, had you ever heard of or seen Near Dark before this week? Hadn't heard of it. Hadn't seen it, knew nothing about it until I clicked play. Right on. Well, why don't we get right into it then? Absolutely. But before that, I just wanted to say you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Fraternity. That's at Fraternity. Our Twitter is the number one place where you can keep up to date with everything that Fraternity is doing. So go over there, give us some likes, retweet us, just follow us, say hi, whatever you want to do. It'll help us out. We have an email, fraternity at gmail.com. That's fraternity at gmail.com. 
you have any questions, comments, anything at all, we'd love to hear from you. And you can go email us and we'd love to respond. We do have a YouTube channel. If you go over to YouTube, type in Fraternity. Our channel will come up. But as of now, the YouTube channel uploads are on a bit of a hiatus because I don't really feel there's much of a pull over there. But a big chunk of our episodes are over there. So if you're going back into our catalog, you can go over on YouTube and check those out because they are something special. And I do put in some amount of work over there for those videos. So go check those out. And keep up to date with everything Fraternity is doing on all the social media. You know, we often talk about niche and boutique labels during story time here. Whether it's Arrow, Scream Factory, Blue Underground, or Vinegar Syndrome. We love those collector-friendly cult and horror home video labels. And if you were a VHS horror collector like me, I'm sure you have fond memories of box art labeled Media or Vestron, among countless others. There were plenty that weren't as horror-specific like today, and one label I always remember is HBO Home Video, because they had two absolutely fantastic must-have horror movies. Both had these blue boxes with silver backing. One was The Hitcher, and the other was Near Dark. If you were with us, For the two weeks of 80s mayhem prior to this break, you know it was all about delivering some of the most iconic and memorable scenes in 80s horror history. And we are right back at it, because this movie has a handful of scenes that definitely qualify. This is a movie that was supposed to be a part of 80s mayhem month, but we're bringing it to you now. And how fitting it is, because our story begins when our young hero meets a mysterious girl named May. So our country boy Caleb meets a mysterious young woman named May. They wind up spending an entire night just getting to know one another. It's precious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love this intro scene here, because it really just sets the mood for the entire film so well. You know, it just has this dark and brooding atmosphere. And this whole intro with Caleb and May getting to know each other and and their journey into the night, you know, it's a good 15 minutes here. We're just sitting with it and it's really enjoyable. Yeah, they have some genuinely cute interactions, but we also know that this is a vampire movie from the outset. So it also has an appropriate level of tension and uneasiness. We know there's something off about May, and Caleb really can't put his finger on it. You know, he's like, I never met no girl like you before. (laughs) Yeah, I love when she asks Caleb to stop his truck, and they do a bit of stargazing. And she's sending all of these, dude, I'm a vampire signals, and he just doesn't pick up on them. (laughs) He also has the perfect responses, though, in a sense that intrigues her enough to want to turn this guy, maybe, you know? Right. And then we get the bit where Caleb takes May to see a horse, but animals don't like her. And he tosses that lasso over her and she demonstrates her surprising strength. He's like, damn. (laughs) (laughs) Then all of a sudden, May urgently wants to get home and it becomes a race against the sun. But Caleb stops his truck and demands a kiss, tossing the keys to his truck down his shirt. And the two embrace. And there it is, Danny. 
a vampire bite. <laughs> nice and quick, not overly dramatic. It's great. I love Caleb driving her home, and he's still trying to be playful, but he's a little confused on really what is making this girl tick. And then we just see how distraught May is, and he's just like, okay, girl, geez. <laughs> Yeah, he thinks daddy gonna spank her. (laughs) (laughs) May winds up jumping out of the truck and she decides to foot it the rest of the way home while at the same time this love bite leaves Caleb in dire straits. His truck doesn't start so he too foots it home but it isn't long before the sun is coming up and Caleb is literally going up in smoke. (laughs) Yeah, we established the rules here with the vampires in the film. You know, they start off by smoking, their whole body starts to smoke, and then their skin starts to get charred and gross. But I guess Caleb is a little early in his turn into a vampire, so he's lasting a bit longer than he, a normal vampire would here. <laughs> yeah, his father and little sister notice him approaching. But shortly after that, this blacked out RV comes driving up the road and the people inside abduct Caleb and drive off leaving his family left to wonder what the hell just happened. And this is where we meet the clan. But not really meet them just yet. We This is just a mild introduction. But you do have the young buck, Severin. Fantastic performance by Bill Paxton. We've got the worldly and weathered leader, Jesse Hooker, played by good old Lance Henriksen himself, Danny. Yeah. What a treat to see him here. And then you've got it rounded off with May, a feisty gal named Diamondback, and a child turned vampire named Homer, Danny. And if you don't know how to spell Homer, which I don't know why you wouldn't, he'll let you know. (laughs) Yeah, I love the concept of Homer, you know. He was bitten when he was young, but who knows how long he's really been in this body, and he's a big man on the inside, but a little boy on the outside (laughs) and uh this isn't exactly the most unique trope because in a lot of uh, anime you know it's usually a little girl who's a vampire and you know i don't need to go any further than that but here it's a little more tasteful (laughs) yeah i think we'll discuss child vampires as we move on because that will come up more and more i think but the group learns that Jesse has been turned, so they're going to take him with them, and they're going to give him a week. A week for what isn't really explained. And as a matter of fact, nothing is really explained. (laughs) Not to Caleb, and not to (laughs) we, the viewer. I think this movie definitely has an expectation of its audience to be somewhat familiar with vampirism. I can't fault it for that. Yeah, it skips all the formalities, you know. We never have the name drop of vampire, not even once. And it becomes a little comedic towards the end how much they're dodging it. (laughs) But yeah, the movie really expects you to understand all the known intricacies of what goes into a typical vampire flick. Yeah, I can't fault it for that. But over the rest of the first third of the movie, we set up our side plot with Caleb's family searching for him. But besides that, we watch Caleb stumble about as he goes through vampirism withdrawal symptoms due to not feeding. And obviously, the weak is the group wants to make sure he can kill and feed and fend for himself. And that 
is the question. But I just wanted to ask, where do you stand on the vampire genre? What are your thoughts? Um, honestly, I haven't really seen that many vampire films, but I like this one and I'm always a big fan of, you know, taking a character and throwing him in this world that he has no knowledge of. And, you know, it's really a battle of morality here with Caleb where he knows he has to kill to survive, but he's trying out every way not to and really keep his humanity here. So I don't know. I'd have to see more vampire films to really give a concrete answer, but I think I'm into it. I'll say for now, yeah, I want to see more vampire films. (laughs) Right on. I already mentioned that vampires aren't my favorite. I would never claim to be an expert on the genre, but obviously you have Dracula films, which would be Nosferatu, the early Universal monster movies, Hammer films. And that's where my mind tends to go when you think of the vampire genre. Bella Lugosi, Christopher Lee, all that good shit. The ancient reclusive vampire or vampires in a castle. Euro babes, preferably. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all well and good, but that's just never been my favorite genre. I definitely like this movie. And while it didn't start the trend, it was early on in that trend of seeing more modern spins on the vampire tale. You had Fright Night, The Lost Boys, Vamp, this movie. And that trend continued in the 90s. While the 90s also served up some of the greatest classic vampire tales at the same time. I'm not sure where I'd rank this among all of those other vampire films, but... It probably fits snugly in the middle somewhere, if I'm being completely honest. It's not the best. It's not the worst. It's kind of an oddity when I really think about it. Obviously, we're also talking about some all-time classic horror cinema that we are definitely going to get you to watch sooner rather than later. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Yeah, I definitely think this movie has a couple problems, which we'll definitely bring up later. but. Overall, I think it's solid. And yeah, I think the fusion of that classic vampire archetype with, you know, the more modern setting really is what I get out of it. I think if you fuse any sort of old style and try to bring it into the new era, it's always a treat for me. So that's what I like about it. Yeah, once Caleb realizes it's futile to flee due to his illness... He moves about North Texas and Oklahoma with the vampire clan. May attempts to teach him the ways of the vampire, but Caleb can't bring himself to kill. And it's a tricky balance here because I don't think this movie works if Caleb kills. What do you think? No, I don't think it does either. And yeah, that's kind of the main struggle of the whole film is like Caleb has to survive somehow, but He refuses to kill, and he's going to do everything in his power to not kill. And we see May take on this nurturing role as she's letting Caleb feed off of her blood, and it keeps him alive, it keeps him through the night, but it's not something that can sustain, and the group even sees it. They're like, you know, we're giving this dude another day, and you gotta kill by tonight, or else you're done. You're not sticking with us. You're not one of us. 
Yeah, and as much as Caleb is our hero, I do get slightly annoyed by that shit-eating grin on his face every time Baby gets his bottle, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like it, though, because it really showcases how good these vampires do feel after feeding, and it just kind of makes that battle that Caleb is having internally all the more of a really tough struggle, you know? Because, yeah, that's funny, because I really, I like that shot of him where he just has that grin, you know, because he's like, yeah, he's feeling that rush, you know, it's like a drug, but, you know, it wears off, and then he has to face reality and be like, well, shit, I gotta, if I want more of that, I gotta kill, and I don't necessarily want to do that. Yeah, great point. Excellent point. We do also get a really great kill montage, though, that demonstrates how the clan goes about their nights. We see Homer stage a bike accident, and he feeds on an innocent bystander who stops to help. Severin dresses up nice and hitches a ride with some babes on a Saturday night. And then we get the great bit with Jesse and Diamondback picking up hitchhikers with ulterior motives. But the closest Caleb ever gets to killing is when he and May hitch that ride with a truck driver. And we get some not-so-subtle foreshadowing as he teaches Caleb how to jackknife an (laughs) (laughs) 18-wheeler. Yet again, though, Caleb can't go through with it, but May does, and we get a pretty cool shot of him feeding on her while they stand by some oil derricks. I thought that was a great shot. I felt bad for the camera people, though, having to set up all those different takes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really loved that entire sequence when he's feeding on her. So the group is... None too impressed that May is still carrying Caleb, so they inform him that he's got one more chance. He makes a kill tonight, or he's out. (laughs) Now, if you were with us for 80s Mayhem, then you know it was all about the most memorable, iconic, and gruesome scenes in 80s horror movie history. And boy does this next scene fit the bill in every sense. Does it or what, Danny? (laughs) Oh yeah, again, like the intro, here we have this extended scene in this bar, and it starts out playful a little bit, and then it just grows more and more uneasy and tense, and there's plenty of gore in this scene too. It's really the only time it kind of shines in the film, and it's just great to watch. Yeah, this is a movie-defining centerpiece, if I've ever seen one. The bar scene in Near Dark. I mean, holy shit, does this scene check all the boxes. (laughs) And does Bill Paxton earn his paycheck here or what? Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's the star of this entire scene, if not the movie. And yeah, he really shines here. It's just so great to watch Severin fucking with the bartender and all the people at the bar and just give like iconic line after iconic line and it's so memorable and great you know like in my notes i just have like half of it for this scene is just seven lines you know (laughs) oh yeah before they entered the bar we also got the iconic shot of the vampire clan backlit atop the hill but yeah once they enter what Severin dubs shit kicker heaven it's just off to the races 
in every conceivable way. We get a slit throat. I hate it when they ain't been shaved. <laughs> <laughs> we get the slit throat into a beer mug. I mean, how epic is that? I love that. The imagery of the blood in the beer mug. So good. We've got a poor man's Clint Howard lookalike by the pool tables. <laughs> and then there's the actor who really needed to keep his ass out of dive bars through this 10 year period of cinema. Because this is the same guy that got his clothes stolen by the Terminator. (laughs) (laughs) We get Caleb realizing his strength before he takes a shotgun blast to the gut. A really nice throat slit thanks to a spur, Danny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the spur kill was uh, unexpected, but very welcome. I love how we get those shots of Homer just, you know, feeling himself dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Can we just give props to that kid? I mean, I think he did a good job of, you know, capturing those adult uh, movements with his performance, but also still coming off like a man stuck in a child's body. I think it's great. Yeah, and that's a tough balance, too, because a child vampire can be really fucking annoying, but... He almost crosses the abyss a few times for me, but yeah, I applaud his uh, performance. It's a really good child vampire <laughs> take. I also in this bar scene when the awesome soundtrack by Tangerine Dream gives way to Naughty Naughty by John Parr, and then we hear the Cramps' fantastic version of Fever. I mean, what's a kill scene without a Cramps song? And then the apt use of George Strait's The Cowboy Rides Away. This scene just has it all, man. We even see that child actor gunning someone down. Yeah, it's gruesome. It's dark. Like I said, it just keeps getting more and more unpleasant. You know, we see how uncomfortable that bartender's getting as he's loading his shotgun. And then he gets that shot off on Caleb, only to realize... It really didn't do jack shit. And Caleb's like, you know, got this rush going now. Like, oh shit, I'm still alive. Really realizing the power he has and being this vampire. Did I do that? (laughs) (laughs) It's a trip, ain't it? (laughs) I also like how you quoted the, I hate it when they ain't been shaved. Because what is a vampire movie without at least one homoerotic vampire moment (laughs) you gotta have (laughs) you know when all is said and done too this scene it's brilliant but it's despicable but in a good way and it's another interesting balancing act that this movie has to perform because i don't think you outright dislike the clan and i don't think you're supposed to but they are undeniably the villains in this story and they do some irredeemable shit in his bar yeah i mean it definitely comes down to the performances and the subtleties that come with having to portray these heinous acts on screen but still being likable and you know wanting us to keep watching these people yeah it's like you said it's a balancing act and it's tough to pull off and it could easily sway in the other direction where we 
you know, turn on this movie and are just like, fuck these people. We don't, I don't want to see any more of this. Like I want them dead, but you know, it really doesn't come off like that. We still want to see where this journey into the night is going. Yeah. In the hands of lesser talent, this could have really fallen apart. Yeah, absolutely. But once again, Caleb can't bring himself to kill. And he puts the clan in a tough spot as our Clint Howard lookalike escapes. And Jesse's positive he's going straight to the law. And to make matters worse, the sun is coming up and the clan isn't going to get far before they have no choice but to seek shelter. And that shelter takes shape in a bungalow. And we get a great scene where Lance Henriksen hurriedly attempts to rent the bungalow as we can see the light of the sun creeping across the innkeeper's desk toward him. Haven't I seen you before? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that guy was funny. But they rent the bungalow. I like the touch, too. Uh, He grabs the key, but he wraps his hand first in the cloth. And I'm assuming it's because the key has silver in it or something like that. Yeah, I just took it as the sun might be too close by the time he grabs it. But yeah, good shit. You definitely don't want that flaky burnt hand. (laughs) (laughs) yeah either way yeah it's a it's a nice touch there you know that's what i like is those you know to be respectful to the vampire the classic vampire lore yeah and we just witnessed the bar scene which had a shit ton of gore in it but i just want to give it up to the burn special effects when you see them getting charred and we're about to see a lot of char (laughs) Yeah, so the cops are around the place, and a shootout ensues. And I love when uh, Severin shoots through the front door and nails that cop in the stomach. But then the sunlight shines through and nails Severin in the stomach, and his stomach is on fire, and he's like, oh, shit. (laughs) I also love how the cops brought the witness to the shootout, and he nearly gets blown away. (laughs) He's like, screw this, and he starts running as it's starting to become a bloodbath over here. Such a Western trope. Like, oh, you say there's killers here, boy? Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the bungalow shootout is a cool scene, and it ends when Caleb makes that flaming, bullet-riddled run through the sun for the van, and he pulls it off. He drives the van right through the walls of the bungalow and helps the clan escape to fight another night. And this endears Caleb to them just enough to buy himself some more time. Yeah, Caleb has earned the respect of the rest of the group. But unfortunately, it's not going to last long as the next place they stay, fate is about to get a little twisted. Yes, it is. Because Homer runs into Caleb's little sister and invites her to his room to watch some television. I love how Homer, Homer just turns, turns on his child persona when he's talking to Sarah. He's like, you want to watch TV? You can watch whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, this is where I thought we could discuss child vampires a little bit, because I'm not sure how common child vampires were at this point. But I have to think it was pretty rare, right? Yeah, I mean, the only instances I know of it is in anime, like I said. And usually there, it's uh taken to more of a fetish route rather than here where it's more you know the story of homer is more tragic and 
more mature and you know at times you almost feel bad for him because it does have to suck that you are stuck in a child body for eternity as this vampire and you know he grows jealous and he's just looking for a mate and he sees it here in sarah yeah you have to wonder how it stunts their growth because you can live forever sure be wise but a kid is still a kid to some degree you would imagine and we definitely see that reflected in homer a few times like even at the bungalow shootout he had like that fear you know yeah i love that part when he's like no not the sun and then jesse's like chill old man (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah he still has that childlike uh brain or innocence at uncontrollable times i know there's some more child vampires in the 2000s but one of the only ones i can think of from back then and probably the most famous would be claudia from interview with a vampire and i did look at it and that was written before this movie but the movie wouldn't be made for some time still And I do wonder if there was inspiration there. And I just don't know enough to know if that's the case or many more instances of child vampirism before this movie. Yeah, I'd definitely be willing to bet that there's some inspiration there. But uh, yeah, neither of us know enough to really say concretely, but that'd be my guess for sure. Yeah, so... Due to Homer being a kid, and we do know he turned to May, and I think it was to have a partner, but then she turns Caleb, because there is a bit of an unexplored three-way drama there, you know? Right, it's kind of a little line here where Severin's like, what are you, jealous, Homer? And yeah, he's definitely uh, longing for a mate, and it just brings up interesting questions about vampires, like, You know, you have eternal life, but, you know, clearly there's a want for more than just that. Right. So he's planning to turn, who he doesn't know is Caleb's sister, into his partner. But unfortunately, Caleb's father gets pulled in, and then Caleb comes back in and finds himself smack in the middle of his two clans. And he's loyal now to the vampires, but he also wants to protect his blood. And the situation is untenable. I like when Caleb's dad puts a round in Jesse and he just coughs it up and returns the bullet to him. This is for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. And Jesse really is just being pragmatic about it. He's just like, they've seen our faces and they want you back. So really, there's one ending to this (laughs) and it's not good. (laughs) Yeah, luckily, the little sister opens the door. The sun gives him a moment to escape, and Caleb makes a break for it with his family. And they manage to escape in his daddy's truck, and the thought of a blood transfusion crosses his mind. So we head back to the farm, and lo and behold, in no time, Caleb is cured of his vampirism, Danny. So let's talk about the blood transfusion. Cop out. (laughs) What are your thoughts? Um. Well, I just want to say this is where they were dancing around using the term vampire so much where Caleb is trying to explain like, I've been bit, you know, (laughs) it's like, come on, you have to know like Dracula, right? Like 
It's an instance where a horror movie doesn't exist in a horror movie, for sure. Yeah, it's like, okay, this is a little unbelievable. But, you know, that's not the issue we're talking about, and it's a small one. What we're talking about is this blood transfusion where Caleb is able to return into a human. And honestly, even after watching this film twice, I'm still not sure how I feel about it. (laughs) I'm really not against it happening. You know, and I think it fits with Caleb's story, like, thematically. You know, he's able to go back to being a human because he never truly submitted into being a vampire. But I also feel like it's never, like, touched upon or explained any more than surface level. It's like when he meets up later in the finale with the rest of the vampire group. They don't even question it. You know, even May doesn't really question it. And I just feel like... It feels so rushed, you know. I'm not against what happens in the film, but it it doesn't feel touched upon enough for me to be like, okay, I'm okay with what's going on. I get what they're going for, but I need a little bit more meat to this ending and story. How about you? What do you feel? Well, the thought did cross my mind too. Why didn't he say, hey, I can fix us all? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like hey, do you want to turn human again? But I could also see Jesse being like, hell no, like, I'm staying a vampire, or whatever I am, we can't use the word vampire in this film. I, I agree. <laughs> I'm staying that because, you know, I, I want to be all-powerful and a creature of the night, and I'm so used to this, yada, 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 you know. I could definitely see that scene being there. And would that be a better movie if that were there? Because you know, at a certain point, it it would almost feel like too much. You know, I do appreciate them kind of stepping back and saying, you can piece this together yourself. But then at the same time, I do want more. And I, I don't know, it's hard. Like I said, I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, I definitely think that they're too far gone for the cure, you know, if that's what we're calling it, because I guess that's what it is. But As for how I feel about it, I think I once again have to admit that I'm not that well versed in vampire pop culture. To truly know if this was a moment of ingenuity or not, we are rapidly approaching the climax of the movie at this point. And I will say, I don't think that it's that hard to argue that things in Near Dark may wrap up a little should. Yeah, that's another thing I kind of have an issue with too is it ends on such a happy note you know when this we've kind of been building towards this very dark atmospheric story and in the end it kind of just becomes a i hate to say it but generic hero's journey yeah i agree but with the blood transfusion i think it just automatically induces eye rolls (laughs) But I also think we're watching a supernatural western about vampires, so how hard can we really be on the concept of a blood transfusion curing vampirism? Is it really any more unrealistic than anything else going on in this movie? (laughs) Than one bite to the neck turning you into this uh, (laughs) ancient creature? I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's just weird. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's somewhere in between, and it's 
hard to really pinpoint where it goes wrong. It's probably one of the most novel ideas that makes people go, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> you know? <laughs> because it's not really a bad idea, but it's kind of like, really? <laughs> yeah, and just to... It, it, I think it adds more questions than it answers. It's like, okay, then why are Jesse and his crew coming back? You know, if clearly... Caleb isn't trying to mess with them anymore, and Caleb's okay. And they would probably assume he's dead. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just weird. You know what else? Caleb took an awful lot of damage. <laughs> <laughs> well, Caleb absolutely has plot armor in this film because, like everyone else, ignites like immediately, and he's able to like drive away in the van too without like feeling anything and that's another weird thing it's like shit we got to find a motel real quick you know we can't drive anymore and then it's like okay never mind we're driving now and we're okay (laughs) (laughs) oh man you know at the end of the day i don't think the blood transfusion makes or breaks the film for me again i think if there is an issue with the movie it's how things seem to wrap up a little more neatly than they should it's a very quick, you know, final act here. 15 to 20 minutes to wrap everything up in a very neat bow. And yeah, it just feels a little too neat for my taste. Yeah, before we wrap it up in that bow, though, we've got a showdown that features one or two more memorable and iconic moments in 80s horror history. So why don't we get into it and wrap up near dark? Hell yeah, let's get into it. May winds up visiting Caleb as he's settling back into his home life. She realizes that he no longer has the vampire affliction, and she winds up fleeing. But at the same time, Caleb discovers that his sister has been abducted. And he ends up riding on horseback into town to do battle with the hillbilly forces of darkness. And the first stanza is against Severin who has spent the majority of this movie just itching to get his hands on Caleb anyway. And we see him tossing him about the street, and he demands a return of his spur. And Caleb is clearly outmatched, so he runs for this approaching 18-wheeler. Who would have seen that coming, huh? (laughs) (laughs) He attempts to get assistance from the driver, but he gets the driver killed instead. So he takes over the rig and drives head-on towards Severin, who goes toe-to-toe with the truck. We hear the hit, and Caleb celebrates. But before long, this gore-covered Severin climbs up the truck, and half of Bill Paxton now resembles unfinished hamburger. (laughs) Yeah, I love he just looks completely battered and bloodied up, clinging on to the front of this truck. Then he immediately punches his hand through the truck, and he's ripping the engine apart. But luckily for Caleb, he remembers those lessons on how to jackknife a truck. And that's what he does. And I'm not sure how a truck jackknifing like that would cause it to explode. But we do love our massive 80s vehicle (laughs) explosions here on Fraternity. And this is one hell of a big explosion. Yeah, this weird foreshadowing convoluted Chekhov's gun is, uh, you know convoluted 
but we do get this awesome <laughs> explosion, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it works out in the end. And next up is the confrontation between Jesse and Caleb. I love when Jesse's like, I taught Severin everything he knows, but not everything I know. <laughs> we see Homer holds Caleb's sister against her will in the car while Caleb demands answers. And May watches helplessly as Diamondback sneaks up behind Caleb. But Caleb's sister breaks free and she's able to warn him just as Diamondback throws her knife at him. And he manages to dodge it as Jesse takes the blade right in his mouth. <laughs> oh, that's great. And he pulls it out. Yeah, brutal stuff. So Caleb grabs his sister and he runs for it as May knocks Jesse off balance as he attempts to shoot them. They give chase in the car and the sun begins to rise and they actually manage to re-abduct You know, the another thing is they seem to be waiting until the most inconvenient times to do their dirty work because it's always like five o'clock. Yeah, it's, it's about time to enact our revenge right before sunrise. <laughs> that was a long horse ride back into town, Danny. But yeah, you'd think these vampires would look at their watches, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a little convenient for the story and the plot, but, you know, it's a nitpick, I think. So they actually managed to re-abduct the sister, but May gets all heroic, and she grabs Caleb's sister and dives out the back window to return her to Caleb. Good little stunt here. Although you can tell the kid is fake. <laughs> <laughs> She, like, lands directly on her. <laughs> <laughs> I know. She was, it was the padding. It was padding and clothes. At the same time, Homer dives out of the car and chases after them. But he succumbs to the sun, smoking heavily before catching fire and exploding like a Taco Bell advertisement. And so at the end of the day, Caleb has his sister, and he does his best to protect May from the sun as Jesse and Diamondback decide to kamikaze the car into the three of them. Unfortunately, they haven't been able to sunproof the vehicle, and they wind up bursting into flames and careening off of the road in another massive fireball before they can hit Caleb, his sister, and May. I love this explosion. It's so big, it, like, hits the power lines and causes sparks. <laughs> like, holy shit. Yeah, we got two vehicle explosions, so... Yeah. I can't be that mad, but if it weren't for exploding <laughs> vehicles, this movie is definitely running out of steam. They didn't run out of gas to blow this shit up, but <laughs> it started. It was time to wrap it up because lastly, we see May wake up on the farm and she too has seemingly been cured of the vampire affliction thanks to a blood transfusion. And we see her and Caleb embrace. And that's the end. Of our movie, Danny. Am I the only one that hates freeze frames to end a movie? It's it's starting to become a pet peeve of mine. It's not the first time it's come up on the show, but I never brought it up. But I don't know. I I, I don't like freeze frames to end your film. <laughs> I'm saying it now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she should have stepped out into the sun and started to ignite, and then we freeze frame. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, freeze frames are a product of the time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I could do without it. Just just fade to black or something. That'd be 
I'd be okay with that, okay? <laughs> Play Naughty Naughty again. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on Near Dark, Danny? Well, Near Dark is a very moody retelling of a classic vampire story. You know, an outsider is bit and is tempted by the darkness and evil that comes with becoming a creature of the night. Our hero's morality is tempted, and yet in the end he pulls through, keeps his sanity, keeps his soul, and he keeps his good nature. You know, there's a couple missteps in the film, especially with the ending and the finale and how it all wraps up, but this atmospheric film, coupled with the backdrop of this western it all comes together and creates this cult classic worthy of being in any vampire fan's collection. So I'm a fan with the blemishes and all of Near Dark. Awesome. Yeah, I think just enough stars align. I'm a fan, but for everything it has going for it, it is a bit middling. I think that's the word that kept coming to my yeah. mind was middling. <laughs> absolutely i agree it's almost there but not quite and i still think it's got plenty of great performances plenty of great set pieces i think its biggest strength is probably the direction i think it's directed really well it's got that great tangerine dream soundtrack that just creates this mood and gets you in and ready for this southern gothic vampire film awesome well that was near dark you now know how we feel about it so be sure to let us know how you feel about it but we are back so you know what that means we've got favorite kill and favorite scene before we wrap it up so how about it danny what was your favorite kill in near dark well my favorite kill it's more of a death but i gotta go with homer Good full body explosion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get a kick ass body explosion. And, you know, I kind of feel bad for Homer in this scene because he's running towards something greater than eternal life. You know, it's the pursuit of love. But love is not meant for Homer as he erupts into flames. <laughs> His body charred and then finally getting that awesome giant explosion. You know, a lot of explosions in this finale. And, you know, it is sad. As sad as it is, I do think it's a great comeuppance for a villain like Homer because there are quite a lot of bad things that he does to make us not like him. But it's that great balance of like, you know, he looks like a kid, but he's not really a kid, but he also acts like a kid sometimes. Yeah, I found Homer to be one of the vampires that I was clinging on to, so I really enjoyed his death here. Awesome. So, Sean, how about you? Favorite kill? For me, I always appreciate the unconventional. So, I'm going with the pig knuckle bartender getting his throat sliced and diced by the spur. <laughs> <laughs> right on. I dig the sound of spurs in tension building. And it really just comes down to it being unconventional and rare. And 
truth be told, there is a lot to choose from in this movie. There's all the vampire deaths. There's all the deaths in the bar. But the spur to the throat just does it for me. Totally, yeah. I, I'm a fan of the spur kill. I think it's the kicks are a little too slow, but I think the effects on the bartender's neck as he's sliced open are really, uh, you know, they're great to look at. So good kill. Totally. Definitely. So how about a favorite scene, Danny? Well, my favorite scene is this extended intro scene where Caleb meets May and goes on into the night with this mysterious girl. Wow. No kidding. I love how drawn out this scene is, and it really does create this brooding atmosphere that I think stays throughout the film, but here I think it's the strongest because there's so much unknown about where the film is going to go. You know, the moody soundtrack, the night sky, the uneasiness and quirkiness of May, and Caleb being likable and relatable, also being a little horny, and this backdrop of this rundown, beat-down town. It all comes together, and it, it just makes this scene really work for me. I feel like I was hooked here instantly, and even though the ending of the film kind of loses me in some spots, this intro is always going to work. I love it. The more I think about it, that is a great choice, because I think the intro and these two actors do this movie a lot of favors because it definitely grabs you early. You know, we all know Lance Henriksen. We all love Bill Paxton. But I was shocked that, at least in a horror sense, we didn't see more of the actors behind Caleb and May. I know we got May and Lawnmower Man as the horny chick getting her lawn mowed, but (laughs) I was... So taken by them that I was like, man, what what happened? You know, why aren't they up on that tier with Henriksen and Paxton? Because they're really great. And yeah, they this movie could have gone a lot more sideways if they didn't do such a good job establishing in that first 10 to 15 minutes. So great choice. Yeah, absolutely. They do. A wonderful job, so props to both of those actors. I think they're great leads in this film, and like I said, really draw you in to this western gothic vampire film. So, Sean, give it to us. Favorite scene in Near Dark? Look, like I said, westerns aren't my thing. Vampires aren't my thing. I think this is a pretty good movie, but I wouldn't necessarily call it my thing. But the bar scene, that's my thing. (laughs) Right on. I mean, I think that would be most people's thing if you asked them. Yeah, I think we pretty much covered the action, but everything down to the location, set design and dressing, cinematography, lighting, wardrobe, effects, it's perfection. And a round of applause to each and every actor involved in bringing the sequence to life because the acting is really fantastic and not just by the leads. You know, you have all the victims, the bartender, the bikers. It's captivating and appropriately terrifying. 
And what's most impressive is all of the moving parts when you get right down to it. There is a lot that goes on in this 10 minute centerpiece. And all I can really say, I can say no more than if there was a horror movie Hall of Fame, this sequence undeniably deserves a spot. Right on. I couldn't agree more. It's definitely a classic and stands the test of time. And I just love how the scene grows more and more tense. And there's so many little moments here that really just pull it all together. So the attention to detail in this scene is top notch. So check it out. Near Dark. If you're into vampires or westerns, you just want to have a good time. It's 90 minutes. It's not going to kill your day. Okay. Go check it out. Awesome, man. Well, why don't you take us out of here and let's go pick the right bar to hang out at (laughs) all right well i hope you enjoyed the show we sure enjoyed making it for you we hope you stick with us here at fraternity and we're glad to be back making shows for you bi-weekly stay tuned because we're gonna get into more cult more classic weird out there you never expected horror so We'll see you next time, and this is Danny and Sean signing off, and we hope you have a good night.